I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind on PBS. This is a special audio exclusive edition on our podcast. I'm delighted to welcome justice correspondent for The Nation magazine, Ellie Meistel. Uh, I'm an admirer of your work, Ellie, and grateful for you joining me amid the pandemic. Thank you, Alexander. Uh, sorry to be on on such a terrible, terrible times. It is, it is terrible times. I, I think you, you uh, offer in your words uh, a, a really critical voice for how we might correct um, an unjust um, judiciary uh, that, is, that is poised to break down further uh, enfranchisement uh, this election cycle. And, and you wrote as much in, in uh, your most recent piece for The Nation. I want to ask you just on a very practical level, knowing the court that we have um, and the decision after Wisconsin, um, what can we do? Uh, what can state governors be doing um, and mayors to ensure that the votes of, of their constituents count? I mean, I think at the very fundamental level, we are unfortunately in a stage where we have to do everything we can to keep it from getting punted to the courts in the first place, right? Um, this is one of the bigger changes that's kind of happened in my lifetime um, that liberals, I think, need to figure out if they want to do things like protective voting rights. Um, for most of my life, the courts have been the, the, the last resort, have been the backstop on some of the kind of worst machinations um, towards voter suppression um, that state governments, Republicans can dream up. Um, now we're kind of in the reverse situation where the courts are the last place you wanna go um, if you're concerned with uh, protecting voting rights. There's not a lot you can do to protect voting rights if you happen to live in a red state um, that's controlled by a Republican governor, that's controlled by a Republican legislature. Um, but if you're in a blue state and, and, and Democrats are in control of your government, um, they have to be doing everything to make sure that the courts don't get a say um, at least the federal courts don't get a say in their um, voting measures, um, because if they if this current court does get a say, they will react always to take away voting rights, diminish voting rights, and to disenfranchise um, hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, Ellie, that's what I was just talking about with Mark Elias. You know, you have to operate right from the point of view that this court is going to err on the side of disenfranchisement. Uh, no, knowing that, Ellie, um, what would you suggest we do um, as as a as a country and as Democratic elected officials uh, who are pro enfranchisement, not disenfranchisement? Uh, because when it does get to the courts, it does so in an unpredictable way in, in an electoral college system. You don't know which states may be more decisive. And it will be ruled on it on technical grounds because it's a technical, at the end of the day, it'll be a technical question in one state or maybe more. Uh, so what do you do to preempt that if, if there's anything we can do? I mean, first of all, we need to be mailing ballots to everybody, right? I mean, that look, vote by mail is something that smart states have been doing for a while now. Um, it's, it's extremely effective. Um, if, your goal, if your goal is to have everybody vote, 
um, mailing out ballots to people um, who are registered already um, before they even ask for an absentee ballot um, is the best possible solution. It's what the Wisconsin governor tried to do at the end, um, albeit a little belatedly and over the objection, um, and he wasn't able to overcome the objection of his Republican legislature. Um, but that's, that's the right answer because we have to understand that it is it, it, and I don't want to, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a public health official. Um, I don't even play one on TV. But it's, it's unlikely that we will just all be back to normal by November 3rd, right? Like, it's just, even if some of the quarantines are, are, are done and, and we can gather in large, it's going to take a long time for people to feel comfortable gathering in large groups again, even after technically they're allowed to again. So the November election is going to be um, lower in terms, we have to anticipate the November election will be lower in terms of in-person turnout and higher in terms of absentee ballot participation. And so we need to email absentee ballots to everybody. Um, we need to educate people, remind people to ask for their absentee ballots early um, so that they are not in a situation like a lot of Wisconsin voters found themselves in. Um, anything that we can do to make it easier for people to vote without having to go out of the house um, is what we should be doing. And so expanding the ballot uh, by virtue of, of mailing um, ballots to folks, um, giving them an expansive period of early voting to, to drop it off in a drive-through or uh, a local election office, uh, board of election, um, you know, the, that, you know, we, we were heartened to see, at least in the state of Ohio, um, with, which has a Republican governor and Republican legislature, that there was, that there seems to be progress. I, I mean, how do you explain that? And, and is there a way to, for Mike DeWine to, to transmit that message to, to his counterparts, his fellow Republican governors? Because they, they seem to be taking the most preemptive and scientifically literate step and it's hard to explain knowing you know the, the the other republican governors in the country i mean first of all we'll see if dewine keeps that up by november right because you know not and look he's been he's been good on that so far no doubt but one difference that wisconsin had in play um that that ohio didn't have in play is that there was a significant local election happening during this democratic primary right the 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 wisconsin supreme court is essentially up for grabs um, um, it's a one seat mar margin and there's an incumbent basically backed Republican versus a challenging uh, Democratic backed judge. And if they lose that seat, they lose control of the state Supreme Court. Um, Republicans tend to go to the mattresses to suppress voting rights when they have votes that matter, when they have elections that they want to win. Um, DeWine didn't have anything kind of going on in Ohio for this primary. Uh, he does for November. Let's, so let's, he's, but the, the thing about Dwight is that he's now kind of boxed himself in. He set himself a precedent of how this should work, which would make him harder to, make it harder for him um, to kind of contradict himself uh, when November rolls around. Um, other Republican governors have not boxed themselves in that way. And so we'll see how they react when November shows up. You know, one of the things that I've written about, and I read about this three, four weeks ago at this point, um, we have to be very mindful of how these quarantines are being um, issued um, by these uh, governors. 
um, we are in a situation where selective quarantining can have a huge impact on the vote. You know, I live in New York City. Uh, sorry, I live in New York, but not New York City. Um, it's, but it, it's very hard right now for New York City residents um, to get to the polls if they had to. Um, if you lived in upstate New York, it's a little bit easier, right? Um, those kinds of disparate impacts can really shape the November election, especially in battleground states, right? If Rick DeSantis, DeSantis, Republican governor of Florida, essentially closes down Miami, but leaves the panhandle open, what you'll see is huge Republican votes coming out of the panhandle where people can easily go to the polls and a suppressed vote coming out of Miami, which is where Democrats usually vote from. Um, it's those kinds of kind of county by county, town by town decisions um, that Republicans might make under the guise of public health that could have real disastrous impacts um, for the November election. And that we have to keep our eyes out on too. Yeah, I mean, you said it, Ellie. I, I've been thinking the same thing and you gave voice to it profoundly. The paralysis of cities and the devastation of lower income communities uh, which will be ongoing, even if there is a flattening of the curve, and even if there isn't a, a major second or third wave. But you know, the that that is the the strategy. You know, in in normal circumstances, to depress the vote in in cities. In normal circumstances, that's the strategy of this current Republican Party. So, you know, with in 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 Philadelphia. It's, it's going to be Governor Wolf who's got to step up to the plate. In, the buck stops with him to ensure, even if it's through executive orders or whatever, you know, that it doesn't repeat the, the situation that we saw in uh, Milwaukee. One uh, thing that could happen, Alexander, and, and I don't, uh, this is a little bit too hopeful for me. I, I'm not usually this um, 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 uh, uh, rosy scenario. Pollyanna is the word I was looking for. But, you know, sometimes when you have these obvious and bald attempts at voter suppression, sometimes there's a backlash. Sometimes that when people understand that the vote is being kind of actively taken away from them, sometimes that actually makes people more committed and more desirous and more um, passionate about making sure that their vote is. Um, and I do think that there is a chance that the Republicans will run into danger by doing by taking such obvious steps to suppress the vote that it actually makes people even more motivated to go vote. One of the things that we saw in Milwaukee, um, and it's horrible. I like nobody should ever have to do this. This is America. It should not. It should never be this difficult to go vote. But one of the things we saw in Milwaukee is people going to vote. Right. One of the things we saw was people willing to risk their health and willing to risk their lives and willing to stand out in the cold and the hail and stand six feet and do whatever it took to make sure their vote was counted. And that's the kind of uh, passion that you could kind of, if you're a Republican, you could inadvertently stir up if you are so draconian um, about forcing people to vote on election day in person. You know, and we're speaking when the president of the United States thinks that he can compel the country back to being open, right? When that's not his jurisdiction, we're not under an authoritarian uh, regime yet, 
and um, you know, governors and the private sector really hold more weight when it comes to that decision. And, and so far, thankfully, they've been heeding public health authorities who say this social distancing and self-isolation quarantine will, will have to be an enduring and patient uh, phenomenon for, for the next months. Uh, right now, Trump is the guy. Right now, Trump is the guy standing out in the middle of a rainstorm under an umbrella, saying, "Why do I need this stupid thing? I'm not wet." Yeah, like, <laughs> but that's the thing. I mean, it's it's how it, like with the Southern strategy, it's it's both witting and unwitting, and you know they don't have to suppress the vote if they want to kill minorities in cities. I mean, and 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 so if if there is. Um, enough of a, a consensus of the Republican governors, DeSantis, you mentioned, others who say, all right, we're going to heed Trump's call to kind of reopen our states and encourage businesses to get back and running. You know, they could have the effect of suppression just by killing people in urban areas, right? I mean, we've seen really uh, uh, depressing evidence of how uh, how at risk African-American and Latino-American communities are from this virus. The, the numbers of their infection rates and our death rates from this are off the charts compared to, you know, compared to the percentage of the population um, that we represent. There are you know, 15 different factors for that. You know, there are different factors for that. Um, I think at the root, Michael Harriet has, has written uh, very well about this. Um, and it's basically what we're seeing is that you know, white supremacy is a thing and all of the aspects of white supremacy, the wealth gap, the poverty gap, the, the reliance on service jobs, the difficulty in keeping your job, all of that wraps up into a community that is being overexposed to the coronavirus and COVID-19 already. Um, and so I think, Alexander, you're exactly right that if, you know, whatever state decides to open up, the first thing that all the employers are going to do is demand their service workers come back to work. And that's going to disproportionately affect black and brown people potentially to their deaths. Um, that is that is one of the frightening things that's happening here. But I also think that we're there's also an aspect here, especially when it comes to voting rights, where we're fighting a bit of an asymmetrical war, right? Like one of the, and I don't know, look, I think Republicans are quite smart in how they think through suppressing votes, right? I think they're quite smart in, in how they think through stealing elections. However, I don't know if they're this smart, but what certainly does seem to be happening is that we have an asymmetry where Republican voters are much more likely to think that the whole thing is a hoax, the whole thing is not important, the whole thing is not that scary, and thus are much more likely to show up in person on election day. <laughs> Whereas Democratic voters are, are listening to the CDC and listening to the World Health Organization and are kind of rightly more afraid of the disease, of the infection, that they might be more likely to stay home. There's, an, there's a fundamental asymmetry in how our, our how, because we live in two Americas, because, because we are so bifurcated, um, because we, we both get two different sets of facts, um, the Republicans who don't believe in the objective facts actually make them much more likely voters as we barrel towards November. It's, it's frightening. 
it is frightening, Ellie, and even in the best case scenario that there there is a health recovery and human services are restored to give people some safety net, you know, it, it, we, we see that this has revealed the, the, the crises of inequity in America that, that have just systemically uh, haunted us and, and killed people. And, and so, you know, not on that note, but on the more Pollyanna note, uh, optimistically, um, you know, beyond just having the absolute moral fiber and conviction to stand in those lines, um, which I hope no one has to, um, you, me, anybody, uh, six feet apart, in a mask, in the rain, um, none of those things should be happening. Um, you know, we it, it, admiring people's uh, um, conviction to do that because of the of the plague on democracy. It's it's like a twofold plague. Um, you know, what are you going to suggest uh, if, in fact, the um, the Joe Biden, presumptive Democratic nominee, is elected with respect to judicial reform. And I was alluding to this before, but, you know, you might call it democratic enhancement so that the courts reflect the people, uh, just like the economy should reflect all the, the working people who have had to face the brunt of the pandemic. So, you know, I don't know if there's anything more you want to say about how we get to that point where there's a new administration and a president-elect that, that um, you know, is there anything more strategically that can be done in, in this unknowable and uncontrollable pandemic? But assuming we get there and people do show up and, and, or mail the, their ballots in, in record fashion, and there is a new president, and, and that is Biden uh, or someone else, but someone who's pro-enfranchisement, what president immediately do uh, to, to that uh, the courts are going to be democratically enhanced and reflect uh, the popular election results of, of all these years when we they've been denied? I mean, there's so much. And, 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 and you know, I'm, I'm trying to get very focused on, 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 on doing what's necessary in order to support the nominee and to make sure that, like we've been talking about, so far, make sure that everybody who wants to vote can vote. That's that's kind of my my short term focus. Longer term, look the the if if there's a new Democratic and Democrat in the White House, and the Democrats take back the Senate, which is just as important. I could even make an argument that it's more important, but I'm not going to go that far and say it's just as important. If the Democrats get to 51 um, U.S. senators, then the very first thing the Democrats should do is court reform whether that's packing the court or trying out one of these term limit plans, or I've written in the nation about like basically, there, there, there are a whole slew of ideas on court reform um, to rebalance the court, to, to deal with the fact that we have one justice who was illegitimately put there uh, when Mitch McConnell would not give Merrick Garland a fair hearing, and another justice who was illegitimately put there um, after a failed investigation into attempted rape allegations. There is no reason why the Democrats should, should spork over the next 30 years of public policy because Mitch McConnell um, was me, 
right? There's no reason for that. And so I am an advocate of various different kinds of court reform um, proposals. In Joe Biden, we've pretty much nominated the one Democrat that who, who isn't. Uh, <laughs> um, we've, we've nominated, the, we found the one guy who's just like, oh, everything's fine. We'll just nominate good judges and that'll be fine. Um, I, I, again, I, I guess I'm doing a little Pollyanna for today's podcast, but my hope, my expectation really is that it will not take a Democratic president long to figure out that his entire agenda will be frustrated by the Roberts court and then be willing to think about other things um, that they might be uh, ready to do in terms of court reform. But yeah, the, 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 on the agenda of any serious Democrat who wants an agenda to go through has to be reforming the court, whether that, that's adding justices um, or imposing term limits, something has to be done. Is there anything you else you would suggest um, just with respect to, to getting to that November 4th uh, that we that we haven't covered in terms of the strategy, um, you know, uh, under the current conditions of both the presumptive nominee Biden and the pandemic, is is there any strategic guidance you would give? I, I think I think one of the reasons why I was happy to your show today is that education about absentee voting is so important, and people have to be in a position where they're requesting their ballots early. I'm going to, I live in New York. So again, I'm going to get my ballot. Like that's not going to, Cuomo's going to take care of me. But especially if you were living in a red state, you have to be proactive in getting your ballot and so, and getting your opportunity um, to vote by mail under whatever ridiculous laws apply in your state. Unfortunately, we live in a country where Quite frankly, most people don't start paying attention to the election until two, three, four weeks out, right? The reason why October surprises work is because people don't really start thinking about it until like late September, until after Labor Day, right? right. Um, and, and that, and I fear that in many states, many red states, not thinking about how you're going to vote until after Labor Day will be too late, right? They will find some way to deny you the franchise either by not mailing you the ballot or mailing you the ballot late because they're quote unquote overwhelmed. Who could have, I mean, how many times does Trump say, who could have expected? Well, you can expect Democrat, uh, Republican state governors to be able to say, who could have expected an unbelievable surge in absentee ballot requests? Like somebody's going to say that in Tennessee or Texas um, or Florida. So you've, You've got to be as proactive as you can, getting your ballot early. Make even if even if you hope that you will be able to vote in person, you need to get your absentee ballot any, anyway, um, just in case. Um, anything that people can do to be educated and proactive about getting their ballots, and just because it's literally sitting here on my desk as we close, I'm going to fill out my census form this weekend. Don't forget to fill out your census form. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, go request absentee ballot and demand it and uh, fill out your census form. Ellie, a pleasure. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you so much for having me.